0: Families are facing challenges today like never before. At Focus on the Family Canada, we're here to equip families so they can find support and God's hope for their situation. More families than ever are turning to us for help raising their children, navigating marital issues, and dealing with anxiety and stress. Will you donate so these families can find the hope they need to face today's challenges? Make a monthly commitment or a one-time donation today at focusonthefamily.ca. family
1: It can be easy to get discouraged about an emerging generation of young people who don't seem very interested in the Christian faith. But really, there's a lot to be encouraged about. And you'll hear more today on Focus on the Family as we have practical ideas to help you, to help your teen follow Jesus in this digital age. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller.
0: Hey John, as a father of two young men, uh, this topic of how young people and faith coalesce is so close to my heart, because we're living it right now. Gene and I are diligently trying to raise our sons to be men after God's own heart. Some days we feel like we got a home run, other days it's a strikeout, right? And I think listeners feel the same way. Uh, We're competing with a lot in the culture right now when it comes to the existence of God, a life for Him, what does it mean? And today we're going to discuss some wonderful insights from two experts that will give you uh, a parenting tool, many parenting tools, to have discussions and to engage your young person in a way that I think will be super productive.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of encouragement here. Our guests are David Kinman and Mark Matlock, and uh, together they've written a book called Faith for Exiles. It's about how to follow Jesus in the current culture, and we have copies of that book at focusonthefamily.ca. Uh, David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group. He's an author. He has uh, surveyed some one and a half million people over the years. Mark also works with the Barna group and lives in Texas. He's written a number of books, and uh, he's spoken to over a million teenagers, so these guys know what huh. they're talking about, and both are married and have young adult children.
0: David and Mark, welcome to Focus.
2: Thanks. It's nice to be here. It's good to have you.
0: Yeah, glad to be here. Well, um, you know, I'm looking at the book and reading it and doing the prep for the program, and I'm excited because I am living this, like I said, in the beginning there. I mean, this is where we're at. I know many of the listeners are there, and it's going to be really interesting. Let, let's start with this idea of digital Babylon. What does that mean? I think I get it. And here's the other great thing, John. These principles are going to apply to all of us. I mean, I think we're all living in a Babylon type environment right now in our culture. So whether you are aiming this at your children or yourself, this is how you
2: grow in Mm. Christ. But go for it. Digital Babylon. Yeah. So you know the the work of Barna is to try to understand culture. And so this million and a half interviews, I feel worn out just hearing that number. Uh, It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people to survey. (laughs) And we've had telephone interviews and online interviews and focus groups and qualitative interviews. And so we're, we're listening to culture to understand what's happening. And um, when we've done all this research, I've tried to then interpret that for families and leaders and parents. And for me, I, one of my favorite heroes of Scripture is Daniel. Daniel. And so over the last 10, 12 years, I've really focused in on the world that this emerging generation is living in and trying to compare that to the story of Daniel. And so one day I was doing a radio interview, and I said, you know, it feels like this generation is like they're like exiles in in Babylon, like digital Babylon. And, And so that sort of stuck. It was about eight, nine years ago. And for me, that phrase, Digital Babylon, you know, Daniel learned the language and literature of Babylon for three years and and more. He's apprenticed. He becomes very influential in that place where faith is foreign. It's on the sidelines, his, his faith in Yahweh. And so Digital Babylon in today's context is... The power of screens, the power of these devices, the power of smartphones, apps that we use, and social media, and the connectedness of this generation—that's more connected than ever, but also less connected. They're lonelier yeah. than ever. So, really, it's the story of the influence and trying to parent well uh, in this digital age.
0: Yeah, Mark, as you've worked with Barna and David, obviously, um, you've identified the idea that you know the the consumption by young people of digital. Resources is, I mean, astronomically high. And, you know, as a parent of teens, it's hard to get a grip on that because they use it for entertainment, edutainment, you name it. Screens are just ubiquitous in the culture. What are the numbers like and what are we facing?
3: Well, when we look at, you know, kind of what's going on right now, we've seen how the internet and Social media has disrupted just about every single industry, every sector that's out there. But the one question is, how has it really affected the church? How has it really disrupted what's going on there? And one of the things that we looked at as we were looking at the volume of screen hours compared to uh, other experiences that young people are having is that screens disciple and i think when david and i typed those two words next to each other we were kind of like the weight of them was so heavy mm. because i realized as someone who's led small groups at my church for you know a couple of decades that this is what i've been facing is normally if a student was you know considering doubting god or his existence they would come to me and say you know i've got some questions about god but now they're going to google first and they're having a secret conversation with somebody else who's discipling them. And then they're coming to me and saying, hey, I don't believe this. And they're coming out with a statement more than a question. Mm-hmm. And they've already been formed. And, uh, and so they're coming and they're arguing with me. And I remember this one exchange that I had with this young man who I'd seen been born in my church. So I knew he grew up and I thought, he's, he's arguing a little bit smarter than he really is capable of. So somewhere he's getting these ideas. And I Googled a couple ideas that he had shared with me. And sure enough, this website popped up how to debate a theist. And he had absorbed this information. And so even though he was in my small group for months, he had been absorbing this to the point that he could argue it back at me. And so by the time I enter into the picture, I have a lot of work to do to undo the discipleship that's already been done away from the Lord. Well, one of the things that is so fun about this book and this study, I've spent 12 years
2: plus really studying the disconnection journeys. I did a project called You Lost Me that was really about the stories of mm-hmm. the loss of faith. Mm-hmm. And so this project was really about the resilience of faith and the good news. And And I actually think we're here today to talk so much about what we love about millennials and Gen Z. We're, I'm 46, Mark's 51. Uh, as you say, we've got 20, I've got a 21-year-old, uh, 19, 16, and... And it is true that there's a lot of strong correlations with the more screen time, uh, the, the, the challenges. But this is a message that's more about just like how do you monitor the screen at time or the, the, the apps they use? Because we are all going to live in a screen driven age, whatever age, you know, when your kids are, are going to get their telephone or when their smartphone, when they're going to get, you know, online. It's, it's a big, bad world out there. And we have to figure out the way of strengthening faith so that they can live resilient lives as daniel did in in this current sort of experience and so yeah it's a really interesting we're we're, you know so uh, much an advocate for the sake of what this generation is asking of the church and the the deeper answers that they're asking for and i so
0: appreciate that because i'm excited for this next generation i'm not down on it i think god's putting both orthodoxy speaking truth And orthopraxy doing truth together in this next generation. And it's exciting when that happens. That's the
3: full package. But But it is rare. It and is rare, it, and it, for parents, it's terrifying sometimes <laughs> um, because we are going into some uncharted territories, you know. Yeah. But though we're trying. This is a personal project for us. We're not just some researchers going, "Hey, this is an interesting subject." We're like going, "We care about our kids. We want to see their faith be resilient in this world because they're going to live in a world that's unlike anything well, we've ever lived
0: in." And that's a nice setup because the next question I want to ask you, just to provide uh, kind of the personal bona fides that you bring, is the fact that you've done this with your kids. Uh, David, in your case, your daughter chose UC Berkeley. And I'm telling you, these are the kind of conversations going on in the home. I mean, Gene and I have had the same discussion. We want our boys to go to a great Christian university, Biola, somewhere, where they could also get biblical teaching. But that doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, it's nice, and it maybe is predictive. But what happened in your case?
2: Well, uh, it was a, a crazy set of discussions that my uh, daughter and my family had um, her senior year, junior year, senior year, and she applied to twenty-seven schools or whatever it was. And she's
0: a science whiz.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's really interested. She's studying molecular cellular biology. Huh. I'm just amazed. I remember those three words in order. <laughs> uh, and um, and so she she was really interested in a mainstream school. You know, I went to a Christian school, a Christian university. My wife did. And um, and so we we had this great discussion about what she wanted and where she was going, and you know like I had to realize in in those discussions that it wasn't my vision for her future. She had to live into you know God's calling. We we prayed and I. I I was so touched by the Lord in that period of time because my heart was completely, you know, Berkeley is the last place you're going to go. You can, you can have that as a safety school on your list of 27 schools to apply to, but that's not going to be a place you go. And over the course of about seven different things, the Lord really spoke to me. This is a place for her to go. And her faith, her faith has actually grown stronger in that environment. Um, now, my middle daughter is at Biola, and you know, her faith is growing strong in that environment. But you're, you're right. It's like just because they're in the outward trappings of a Christian environment, just like Mark was saying a little bit ago, just because you're in the building, in the youth group, in the Christian university, part of this message of Digital Babylon is that screens are influencing us in deeper ways. They're becoming our our counselor, our best friend, our sex educator, our you know confidant. And so we've got to recognize that even if they're in the building, even if they're in the program, they may not actually be with us in terms of heart and mind and soul. And it's really
0: important. Uh, It's hard to let go and let God take over your child's journey.
3: Mark, you had a similar situation not long after David dropped his daughter off at Berkeley. Yeah, almost the same weekend. Uh, (laughs) He was was dropping her off in the Bay Area, and I was in New York City in Manhattan dropping my daughter off at Parsons School of Design, where she was going to study fashion, and um, you know we were we were concerned like what will this world be like for her? You know, uh, I'd grown up, I went to Biola as well before David did, and um, I was you know wondering what kind of support system will be around her? How will that influence her? So growing up in California, I wasn't in the Bible Belt, but my daughter grew up in the Bible Belt. And so I was a little worried because she'd always kind of pushed back a little bit on things and was always asking deep questions about faith and God and his existence. And And that's because you're in Texas. Because we're in Texas, right? We're in Dallas. We're in the Bible Belt. Yep, in Texas. And I'm going, what's it going to be like when she goes to New York? Is this her hand-on-the-door moment? Because we've been studying generations, realizing there's a generation that has their hand on the door of church. Is this my daughter's hand-on-the-door moment? And... um, what happened was really interesting, because in some ways, like David's daughter, um, she, for the first time, saw the potent impact of having Christ in her life. She started seeing how light shines in dark places. Because of the discrepancy, right? Because of the distinction. Yeah, yeah. she was having a hard time seeing in the Bible Belt, frankly. Yeah. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment.
0: Hi,
1: this is Jim Daly. Is your family feeling
0: tired, restless, even stressed out? Well, you're not alone. These are tough times and that's why we at Focus on the Family have created something new and helpful for you and your loved ones. It's called Focus at Home, a free on-demand streaming service featuring the faith-filled content from Focus on the Family that you know and trust. With Focus at Home, it's like you're getting access to our content vault. Explore old favorites like Adventures in Odyssey or radio theater. Discover new interactive children's stories and we'll have a few surprises for you along the way. There's something fun for every member of the family and we'll keep adding fresh titles so you can check in every day. Best of all, it's 100% biblically based. Sign up now and get total access to our best content for families during this challenging season. Visit focusonthefamily.ca. Often
2: in advertising, you'll hear terms like no obligation, But what does that mean? Hi, I'm Danny Deeks, and at Deeks Insurance, no obligation means we'd be happy to go over your insurance coverage and talk about your needs and options with no pressure to buy. And you could benefit either from potential savings on premiums or by getting a better understanding of your policy. Give us a call today at 1-800-240-5283 or visit us on the web at deeksinsurance.ca.
1: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Gentlemen, in your research,
0: you identified four different uh, Christian exile types. Let's get into it. Uh, What were those four, and what do they mean?
2: Yeah, so as researchers, we love to put people into buckets. We don't (laughs) call those people the names in the research, but we use survey data to help us understand a person's spiritual journey, so it's a it's a fun job to try to really understand where someone is at based on not just are they in the building in the church building, but you know can we understand their their heart set, their mindset, and their beliefs. So I've been studying you know uh, religion in America for 25 years and doing this with, uh, with with the Barnett Group, and so with with young adults we we were trying to understand the spiritual journeys of people who grow up Christian, um, and so we interviewed 18 to 29 year olds and we asked them to reflect back on their teenage years and where they were today. And so we came up with four buckets, four categories. The first group are the resilient disciples, and that represents one in 10 young people. And these were people that believe in the authority of scripture, they believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they want their faith to matter in the world. And so that was our definition of a resilient disciple. And that's, you know, what we're here really talking about. They actively engage in a church as well. That was another. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's only 10% of people who grew up Christian and right. as teenagers, which is should be a really sobering, you know, yes. finding for us. Uh, because it really tells us this is not easy. As Jesus says, you know, it's sort of easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we could also talk, we sort of paraphrase that. It's easier for a young person to grow up as Christian and then sort of walk away from faith and to really have resilient faith today. Yeah. And so that was the first group. And and most of our work in this project was understanding what makes for resilience. So that's the first group. What are the attributes of that group? That's yeah, right. I get that. What are the other three? Uh, the second group was habitual churchgoers. That That
0: sounds bad, but what are you driving at?
2: Well, these are people that are active in faith, they attend church, they call themselves Christians, they love Jesus, but their other factors about their faith are much diminished. They don't have the same orthodoxy of beliefs. Uh, They're really, they're sort of just like... Christian in church going only is that often the phrase of being a societal Christian, a social Christian. I think so, and I think this pandemic is really affecting a lot of these habitual Christians who are who are going to church out of habitual reasons, but they're not they're not really deep in the Word. They're not sort of people of prayer. They're not engaged in Christian community outside of it. Uh, so
3: that represents about thirty eight percent of young people. Yeah, that's sobering. But what's great about that is we have thirty eight percent that are. In the church, within reach, but if we can have those conversations, if we can disciple them in this area of resilience in Digital Babylon, realizing and engage that they're within reach, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the encouraging part of, and all again, of that. And again, these are 18 to 29 year olds.
0: Just to, to make sure the olds. audience hears that. Yep. All right, what's the third one?
3: Uh, the third group is what we
2: called um, nomads. And this is the individuals who say, yeah, I'm still a Christian. They just never show up in a church. That would have been like Mark talking about this person who's got their hand on the door. They have walked through that door. They still think fondly about Jesus. They sort of say they're you know, aligned to Jesus, but they're they're really cultural Christians. Okay. Uh, and then the final group are what we call prodigals. And fascinating is 22%, one in five, 18 to 29-year-olds. Uh, twice as large as the young resilience say they're no longer Christian. Now, here's a fascinating... One
3: time I identified as a Christian yeah. and I no longer do.
2: I've got yeah. the questions lined up, so go for it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's fascinating because 10 years ago when we did the Ulosophy Project, that number was only 11%. Huh. And so over a decade, when smartphones rise, when it's the gospel according to YouTube, you've got all these pressures, you've got this huge disaffection, a huge loss of faith among this generation so the the people who have lost their faith um, is growing yeah. uh, to twenty two percent today one in five, whereas as, as sort of con- to contrast that the ten percent who are the most resilient in their faith
0: what in that group you know again i 'm speaking to parents, and I really want them to be equipped to maybe even change their strategy uh, about how to engage their young people spiritually, but what were the kind of top one or two reasons for that disaffection, that group in the prodigals,
2: what did they say? Well, it's a a range of different reasons. The church is anti-science. The church is repressive. The church is judgmental. It's hypocritical. We see a huge correlation to, and I want to talk about this really just sensitively and humbly, like self-righteous Christianity uh, where we make Jesus all about following rules, and we make you know it 's like Jesus is just as concerned with our self righteousness as he is in uh, in unrighteousness right the there 's two prodigals, mm-hmm. yeah, the older brother is also a prodigal that 's exactly right exactly. right, and so um, we see a lot of rejection of that kind of you know older brother Christianity in the stories of these people, and I just want to sort of say to parents. And listeners who are are going through that you know we 've interviewed people it 's a heartbreaking piece, but there 's also hope um, and there 's this real sense of i 've got this sort of sacred job of listening to people who 've lost their faith, and I consider that a real privilege because I, I respect and honor every person 's story of course i don 't agree with the spiritual conclusions that they 've come to. But but I think to parents who just, we grasp on so tightly to the faith of our children because we think it reflects on us. But, you know, it's, it's a really important realization in this data that, you know, there are a lot of people who lose their faith and God still cares about them. You can still pray for them. You can still ask the Lord for wisdom about how to speak to them about spiritual things. But it's also like it's okay to let the Holy Spirit do, you know... Uh, it's work in in the lives of our children yeah. even when they've lost their faith. And David and Mark,
0: you know what's so difficult with that is parents and I think particularly Christian parents this issue of control is huge and we go for behavioral control and we think we achieve it if we're unaware and we believe they're behaving well. You know, they're not promiscuous sexually, they're not doing drugs, they're not drinking alcohol, etc. And we kind of check the box, oh, don't we have good kids? Yeah.
3: Well, that can actually be like one of the, one of the interesting things, and in you lost me when we were looking at these prodigals, is that there were some prodigals that were injured by the church, so they were hurt, wounded, maybe some type of sexual or spiritual abuse or something of that nature. But then there's another group that are just like, it's kind of like an era of polite atheism, where it's like, I've just come to the conclusion that I don't believe any of this. And a lot of them even wait until they are um, you know, they graduate because they don't want to upset their moms and dads because they respect them so much. So they're being polite. They're being polite. And I think that's a unique thing because, as David mentions, it's anti-science and some of these things, they're looking at facts, they're looking at information, and they're saying, this just doesn't add up to me. And it may be that there are – Uh, ways that we express or understand our faith where we haven't properly integrated those things. And so we need to be looking for those other men and women that have integrated those things that can help them on their way. I've had incredible conversations with teenagers that were ready to leave the door. They were going into a STEM related field, science, technology, engineering, math. And they were like, you know, Christianity doesn't add up. I sat down with them, opened up their mind to the idea that maybe science was more in cahoots with the Bible than they right. realized, right? right. And in, in that conversation, turn them back into a conversation about how the Lord you know, would be involved in their life if they followed in this path. So I think that's some of what we have to look for as parents is we may not, our kids may be thinking about their faith on a level that we're not. And we need to be figuring out where are those men and women that we can bring into their life to help with that. Okay, look, we've set the groundwork. We're just at the end of the program here.
0: I want to mention uh, the five practices that those 10%, that resilient uh, disciples possess. And we're only going to have time to cover one
3: of the five today. But what are the five, and what is the first one in more detail? So the five themes that we found that were true of resilient disciples, and when you look at these five themes, compared to the other profiles there's a huge difference there's a huge gap between them it 's not just a minor difference like it's significant oh, it's significant and yeah. it's it really is remarkable, especially between the habituals and the resilience because they're going to church with about the same frequency, but they 're having really different experiences yeah. so uh the first one is experiencing Jesus the second is uh meaningful relationships the third is cultural discernment. The fourth is vocational discipleship. And the fifth is living in countercultural mission. Hmm. So those are the five kind of practices that we saw in those resilience. Yeah. And let's get into the first one. Let's Experiencing Jesus,
0: what does that mean to those 10%?
2: Well, and just to put a, a little coda to the description there is that um, what we learn is that you know trying to develop resilience isn't as simple as do these three or four things, right. but it's, a, it's almost like guidelines and guardrails, these five themes. The more of it you do, the more resilient your faith is. As you yeah, said, this is brilliant. At the very beginning of the program, you sort of said, you know this isn't just about discipling young people. It is that, but it's also about how we can be more resilient in our own digital lives and our discipleship with Jesus. So experiencing Jesus, as a researcher, one of the most remarkable facts that most people overlook is that seven out of 10 americans say they've made a commitment to jesus that is still important in their life and it's just i remember just absolutely stumbling on that data in my early years at barna Mm -hmm. and so i've been on a 25-year quest to understand like what does it really mean to follow jesus when virtually everyone seven out of ten americans say they do right and so what we find in this study is this idea of clearing the religious clutter Um, There are things that we do that have sort of lost their meaning or have lost their meaning in the lives of the discipleship process that we're intending to have for people. So how do we help people root their identity, not in you know, their gender or their the the team that they root for or their favorite outdoor brand, but in, in who Jesus is and what he says about us. And so we find that's it's actually a really rare thing. And most people say, Yeah, I've got the Jesus t shirt, but I don't actually really love him. I don't hear him speak to me in a real and personal way. So, you know, one great example of how we as parents and others can influence uh, this next generation is just asking the Lord to speak to us and demonstrating this notion of, of our lives being open to the Lord's leading and I uh, you know tell this story of of Emily and I it was like you're not going to UC Berkeley you're not going to UC Berkeley and I was like okay well let's just ask god what he thinks and so <laughs> was that her saying that? yeah exactly oh. and so I love so you know the over a period of several weeks like, I was like okay lord I'm going to really ask you for your wisdom and there were like seven things that were really miraculous as the Lord showed me. And I just wept when I sort of was like, this is actually where God wants my daughter to go. And so we have to demonstrate that um, an actual trust that a real God is speaking to us as parents and it's not about controlling our kids, about you know influencing them towards Jesus, but that might actually be about more influencing us as their parents yeah. than it is about them. So this idea of allowing God to speak into our lives, that's a good example of experiencing Jesus. Well, and I
0: want to jump in because what it demonstrates is humility, which the scripture is so precise on that pride kills us in so many endeavors, whether it's our business or vocational efforts or our parenting. And what a beautiful example as a parent of being humble and listening to Emily, your child, say, Dad, let's, let's pray about it. Let's talk to the Lord about it and see if he agrees that it'd be okay for me to go to Berkeley. I mean, that, I could, there's two ways you go at that point. You either humble yourself or you dig in with prideful parenting and say, no, I know what's best for you. I know that's not going to be a good environment. You're not going to go. Uh, and the Lord's saying, uh, "Well, well, back up. Do you trust me?"
2: And I think about the faithful decision we made then because it was not easy and uh dropping off Emily at school and you know, she's an amazing kid, um but it's a uh more than a kid, she's a young lady now and I just admire her so much, but I think yeah. about the the week before we dropped her off and a little bit of a personal story for us is that my wife's been struggling with brain cancer for 3 years and And she had just come through some surgeries that summer, was really having a hard time keeping track of just details and yeah. and the the most lucid moment that my wife had was praying for her daughter to go to berkeley mm-hmm. uh, the the weekend before we dropped her off yeah. um, during that stretch of time and so it 's pretty amazing the the way god 's faithfulness shows up when we do choose to uh, allow him to speak into our lives, and then we 're obedient to that
0: well, I so appreciate that vulnerability david and Both you and Mark have done a wonderful job with this book, Faith for Exiles. Again, it's aimed for young people, but all of us, uh, people of all ages, uh, can benefit from the content in here. And we've covered one of those five attributes of the resilient Christian. We're going to come back next time, if you guys are willing, and cover the other four. But I love the beginning. Uh, Number one is that intimacy with Jesus and what does that mean? What a great start to the discussion. And uh, folks, if you want a copy of this book, uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. One, order it from Focus on the Family. And again, you know, we are a Christian ministry. If you need the book and you can't afford it, we will get it to you. Just let us know. We're going to trust that others in the community of believers will cover the cost of that. So I think you hear my heart there. I believe in this content so much. I want to get it into your hands. It's that important. And uh, if you can join us in ministry, even better. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, donate as you can and uh, get the book when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. David and Mark, again, thanks for being with us, and I look forward to our conversation next time. Absolutely, our pleasure. Looking forward to it. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.